Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond that military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of their business, and lessons learned. Joy can override the worries and depression. Here are your hosts, Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Hey, everybody. Welcome. It is Friday. It is 1 p.m. on the West Coast, which means one thing. It is time for the Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. I am your host, Josh Carter. Carmen is out this week. If you are new to the show, welcome. Uh, Every week we bring in these remarkable founders that just also happen to have an amazing backstory that they've served our country. This month, uh, or this week, we're celebrating, getting ready to celebrate Memorial Day. Uh, hopefully you're doing well. I know the pandemic has caused chaos in your lives, but uh, but hopefully you're holding up well. We're really excited about uh, this week's show because we have a returning guest, good friend of the show, Todd Connor, founder, CEO, well, not CEO anymore, right, of Bunker Labs. Welcome, Todd. Hey, Josh. Good to be with you again. Thank you so much. Yeah, so, uh, so first things first, uh, there's been a change at the top at Bunker Labs. Yes, there is. Yeah, there has been. Um, yeah, I stepped down uh, formally about a month ago, or maybe it was about three weeks ago. Um, and Blake Hogan has stepped in as as CEO of Bunker Labs, and this is part of a, a planned succession that's been underway for about a year. Not not entirely that um, you know that it was going to happen when it did, but I but I knew that I was it was time to sort of change out the guard, which is a whole conversation of when you know it's time to go. And, uh, and so, yeah, I'm excited about uh, continuing to serve the organization, but in, in a different role other than CEO. Yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for, for nonprofits to, to uh, switch out CEOs. I was, of course, uh, running Patriot Bootcamp for a bit and uh, after Taylor and Charlotte, and now it's Jen Pilcher. So I, I don't think it's uncommon. And, and like you said, there's, there, you know when it's time for, for a change of the guard. And and so excited to have that conversation. But let's refresh our community about who you are for those that have never heard the voice of Todd Connor. Uh, <laughs> go through a little bit about your background, your military background. Sure. Yeah. So I uh, came through the ROTC program at Northwestern University, um, where I graduated in 2000, which is like, holy cow, 20 years ago, man. Um <laughs> so hard to believe uh so yeah i was back at, in uh, 2000 i graduated commissioned served for four years on active duty in the navy was on board the uss bunker hill as the um the the navigator uh, as well as the anti-submarine warfare officer two different tours on the same boat or same ship back to back and then um got out in 2004 stayed in the reserves for a little bit but came back to chicago went to business school and sort of began life and um the journey took me uh, on a sort of what I call a traditional path of being in the military, going to business school, then doing management consulting, and then split out uh, onto what I would call the entrepreneurial path that uh, I've been on ever since. And that and that my entrepreneurial journey kind of started in 2008 um, when I left consulting and started my own consulting business, and it's it's taken twists and turns since then, but essentially since then have been kind of on my own doing different things. We started Bunker Labs in 2014 um, to help military veterans and military spouses uh, start their own businesses. And the rates of entrepreneurship in this country are down 
Uh, they're down uh, in particular for, for post 9-11 veterans. And so we were just thinking, how do you help people start businesses? And so we, we started that in Chicago in 2014 and, uh, and have scaled it over the last six years into um, a national organization with, with chapters in different cities uh, and different programs to help you know, the military connected community start businesses. So when you first started Bunker Labs, did you do, were you seeking out sort of uh, a grand audience around how you were going to, uh, you know, really grow out programs or how, what was sort of the thinking behind starting this aside from obviously veteran entrepreneurs needed help, but what, did you know the how, how you were going to get there? No, no, very much not. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, to your point, it's like, I sort of knew the, the, the why, but I think the how the why was like, let's help military veterans start businesses. The right. how was, I think, discovered and, and frankly, continues to be discovered. I mean, it, it, um, you know, we tell entrepreneurs all the time that like it's, you want to fall in love with a problem, but don't fall in love with a solution because it is, if you love the problem or the challenge or the gap or the opportunity, then like the, the solution will find itself. Um, and it'll find itself because the customers will ultimately tell you what it is that they need. Um, uh, and, and, but if you fall in love with the solution, then you might have fallen in love with the wrong solution, right? Problem, wrong solution. So in the early days I was at 1871, which is an incubator in downtown Chicago. And, um, I was there, um, uh, taking meetings. I had started a professional services, a consulting business prior to that. And so I was sort of in the world in Chicago, busy running my own small business. And, uh, 1871 was a fairly new thing. Uh, I think it had been started in 2013, I think. Um, and there was a lot of excitement about it. It was like, this is cool. Incubators were brand new. Like the idea of creating a physical place for startups to convene was still sort of a novel idea. And there was a lot of enthusiasm at, at 1871 in Chicago about just this idea of creating a place to help people start businesses. And uh, I saw that they had different initiatives for like women and people of color and sort of different communities, you know, food tech and tech stars was there. And, and so these interesting things were happening. And I, I asked the, the guy, Tom Alexander, who was number two of, of the place, like, you know, have you guys, done anything for military veterans. I see things here for women and people of color and that's interesting and cool. And, you know, has anybody ever approached you about military veterans? And, and he essentially was like, you know, they have not, but that's an interesting idea. And we would, I think, you know, love to do something. Uh, so if you have ideas on what that could be, then come back to us. And so, you know, like a lot of ideas, I think you sort of, you hear that there's potentially a need and, I saw myself as maybe living at the intersection of these various constituencies in such a way that I might be able to put something together. And so, you know, went back with the PowerPoint and was like, you know, I thought about this. I think that there is a need. I don't know what the need looks like, frankly. I'm not the most networked, you know, military veteran in Chicago, but I've started a couple of businesses and I might be able to offer some thoughts here. And, and I would love to do it if to the extent that people want help, um, then I'd be happy to do something. So, that was sort of the genesis. We went back, kind of beat up the idea a little bit, and then um, and then announced it um, a few weeks later that we were going to, or I guess it was months later, that we were going to be doing something called The Bunker. And we really didn't know how many people were going to reach out, what's the need. Um, and then, 
if there is a need, then like, how do you serve the need? And so we just started small, but we went out with that announcement and it turns out there was a need and a desire. A lot of people reached out and we started just gathering on Thursday mornings. We called it the brain trust. And I said, well, at a minimum, let's just get people together and see what their needs are and see how we can serve the needs. And so uh, it began that way and it's, it's scaled and become more sophisticated over time. But you know, we continue to sort of listen to like, what is it that people need? And obviously right now we're going through this global pandemic and a once in a generation economic uh, recession. And so what they need is, is different than probably what they needed, um, you know, a year ago, but we're pivoting to meet the needs of, of the community that we're trying to serve. I, it's amazing to me that, uh, you know, you're bringing up 1871. That's, that's where you and I first met, uh, God, nearly four years ago. When I, I know tech stars there and uh, you, back then in, in uh, 2016, uh, you guys were pretty getting pretty well established. You had some chapters uh, sort of spread around. You and I talked about, you know, doing a chapter in Portland. What, what do you think you've learned from, from 2016 to now that maybe you would have done differently? Mm, that's a great question. You know, we've changed strategy over the course of the years and, and our entering strategy was, we kind of, you know, because I was building, we were building this thing in Chicago, and then I had other people in other cities say, "Hey, we ought to, yep. you know, build this thing in in Austin. We ought to, you know, can we do it here in in, um, you know, in San Antonio? Can we do it here in Miami? Can we do it here in Seattle?" And my instinct was always like, "You bet, you know, like if you're, you know, in this for the right reasons, like here here's our logos, here's what we've learned, like go for it, you know." And that sort of distributed autonomy strategy was a good was a great way to scale and then you see you know i don't even want to say cracks in the strategy but you see you know the more that you scale you've got more things happening in more cities the risks of things being sort of done differently or not to scale or not sort of to standards or inconsistently you know increases and so at some point we decided you know we're going to have greater efficacy if we have this sort of rolled up as a national organization versus these distributed chapters kind of fundraising for themselves, running programs amongst themselves. Uh, and so we, we switched and went from like a highly distributed and autonomous environment into more of like what I'd call a centralized, centrally overseeing, you know, like overseeing things kind of environment. Um, and it's, I don't think changing strategy is an acknowledgement that you had the wrong strategy. It's more about you had the right strategy to get to a point and then you needed a new right strategy to get it to the next point. And strategy is in my view, like, especially when you're an early and fast growing organization, it's an iterative process. Right. So, so some people say like, we shouldn't have ever had chapters. And I'm like, well, I disagree with that because that doesn't get you to scale and you can't sort of establish yourself as a national organization without local chapters um, and so some of these things have to be learned, but it, you know, and I think all along the way, we've had a lot of impact for people. It just to sort of look different, but, um, but yeah, you got to pivot and sort of say, Hey, this was a great model to get us to this point. Is it still the right model? We're asking ourselves that right now and saying, mm-hmm. we've had these local chapters. We have 32 chapters around the country right now. And, um, you know, each one has a few volunteer city leaders and they've, they've been fantastic. They've done this great stuff. But we're also seeing like, hey, here's what goes well at a city level. Here's what the challenges are. You know, have we over um, exerted volunteer city leaders for some of the things? Do we do we actually like this is a core thought that we've had is like, 
trying to have consistency across all cities, okay, that's good because now we have like a consistent programmatic implementation, but also do all cities need the same level of support and can you toggle that? So we're, you know, again, asking these sort of fundamental questions that I think we will always be asking as as an organization around like, what's the right level of impact to be had nationally? What, what things should you be doing at a national level? What things should be pushed to a local level? And then what's the governor's govern uh, governance that kind of undergirds the whole thing. But I think, um, I think to be a, a forward leaning organization, you, you, you are, I think always kind of asking yourselves the hard questions and not nostalgic. Um, we've tried to not be nostalgic for just defending the answers that we've had, but rather, um, you know, looking at what we've done, being proud of what we've done, but also being willing to sort of look at it with fresh eyes and say, but, is, but does it, is it the right answer now? Um, and that's, you know, that's how we've tried to lead. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I'm, I've always been a huge fan of what you're doing. I, I, I know we, we worked really well together on PBC and operation code. And, and, uh, and I think what you're doing is great. What are some of the things that you're dealing with today that but obviously, we with the pandemic and everything, what do you see as like the core challenge that are facing veteran entrepreneurs right now, and how is Bunker filling that gap? Yeah, well, it's a great question, and and undoubtedly you've got a perspective on this. And I I think if you asked us like a year ago, what are we focused on? This is probably true for Patriot Food Camp as well. Is you know it, we're really trying to close this social gap of participation by the military connected community in, in as entrepreneurs. So we want more people starting businesses. And so to get more people to start, you're trying to tell inspiring stories, you're generating enthusiasm. We're doing a lot of large scale events and networking and, and I'd say leading with a pretty aspirational message because the economy was in an aspirational place. And, and my belief is that there's, there, there were so many opportunities and, um, you know, and like if if your startup didn't go well, there's economic, you know, the the labor participation rate is such that you can get back and get a job if your startup doesn't go well. I think our messaging has changed because the situation has changed. I think unemployment is you know near 15 percent, and um, you know uh, the economic realities on the ground are much different. And so we've probably shifted from a more aspirational frame of get out there and start to more of a conversation about how do we equip your business to survive? So if you've already started, how do you uh, double down, brace for the economic uh, season that is upon us? How do you survive? How do you manage your cash flow? How do you apply for the PPP? How do you keep or furlough employees? You know, how do you, um, how do you weather the storm? Is really, I think, the conversation that we're having for the next six months plus and then I think at some point we'll get back to a conversation about what are the opportunities in the quote unquote new normal. So, mm-hmm. Hey, there's been all this massive economic disruption um, and displacement, which has negative implications, which are known and, and, and obvious and, and extensive. Um, but are there opportunities as well? And, you know, I don't think we want to have that conversation right now. I think people are still bracing for the shock of all of this and trying to figure out how to get back on their feet. We want to support them in that. But um, but at some point, we'll be having the conversation about what are the opportunities on the other side as well. And, and I think, you know, my hope is we're going to rebuild in some ways the economy. My hope is that we re- rebuild it to be more inclusive um, and we rebuild it in, in such a way that I think veterans can 
hopefully uh, be defining, you know, what it, what it is and what it looks like. I, I think, yeah, I think you're right. And we just had, we had uh, Brandon and Matt from TFX Capital not too long ago. And it's clear, everybody's in hunker down mode, right? Everybody's like, let's just figure out how to keep the companies alive that are out there and fighting and, and out there. There are obviously new companies coming in there and how do we support them? What I think is intriguing, and this is just me from a hundred foot level, even more 35,000 foot level, is that I think there are opportunities within the veteran service organization um, ecosystem for more collaboration to happen so that if, like, for example, when, when I was at Patriot Bootcamp, one of the things that I was really driving was the sense of a workflow, right? At every stage, startups have different stages, as you know, right? There's that, I just started a startup, I just incorporated, maybe have one or two customers. Then there's that growth size, and then there's that rocket ship. But there's, I feel like at some point, there's got to be a collaborative sort of connected tissue that binds that and allows entrepreneurs to kind of bounce around the different veteran service organizations in a way that if there's no friction, but they just kind of move around and they're able to get help. There's collaborative and, it, and make, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I, mm-hmm. This is the third organization that I've been a part of, but it doesn't feel like that's happening as much as it should. Oh, I think, I think that there's definitely opportunities to improve collaboration across the organizations. And, uh, and this is something that, you know, Jim Pilcher and I have talked, you know, pretty extensively about, and you and I have talked about, and, um, and I think it's got to happen. And it's not only in the veteran space, but I think it's actually broader than that. I, you know, we're talking to our, you know, partners, um, that are sponsors about, you know, deepening the engagement that we have with them. You know, we had a, a conversation actually two days ago with Jake Morgan Chase and, you know, they are serving customers that are small business owners and that's also who we're serving. And so, you know, we're asking like, how do we share notes and be leaning forward and on what it is that they need? And I think that's true for nonprofits and I think it's true for for-profits. So I think this period of acceleration will force a greater kind of collaboration among among organizations that want to not only kind of weather the moment with their customers, but also emerge on the other side um, relevant. And so mm. I, I am seeing in this, and I think it's a silver lining, I, the, you know, kind of unprecedented levels of collaboration and just transparency with a lot of organizations. Um, the veteran space is interesting because you've got a lot, I think it's like 40,000 some nonprofits, 80% of which have annual revenues of less than a hundred thousand dollars. So that's a very, that's a lot of organizations that are not operating at scale. Um, and it's maybe enough money to sort of pay one staff person or to sort of, you know, execute against the local initiative, but it's not much more than that. And so I would forecast given the, the, the nature of that fragmented and, sort of large number of organizations that there will be a rationalization of how many organizations, you know, make it through this and stick around and are, are on the other side to sort of do work. And so I, I think that the veteran space will see a consolidation of sorts. Um, and there'll be an expectation for those that are, you know, again, healthy on the other side of this crisis to sort of play more of a leadership role and to act more collaboratively with each other. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I think that'll be, um, that's a good thing. I mean, that, that kind of thing needs to be happening all the time. I think a moment like this forces it to a greater degree. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We've been talking to Todd Connor from Bunker Labs, uh, founder and uh, former CEO. We're going to come back after the break, and we're going to talk about just what we were talking about at the beginning, which is how you know it's time to, to move on as a CEO. So we'll be back in a moment. Stick around. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance, media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. And we're back. We've been talking to Todd Connor. Uh, at the Veteran Founder Podcast here on the Startup Radio Network. Todd, we talked a lot about uh, Bunker Labs. I know you're, you've moved on. I, you brought up a good point, and I think a lot of folks who are starting businesses don't understand that there are different CEOs for different stages of businesses, or perhaps there's times where different CEOs are called for. And I want to talk about that. I want, I want you to talk about what your mindset was as far as uh, when you knew it was time for you to move on to Bunker Labs. And and how other CEOs should think about that as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I, I think people ask like, how did you know uh, it was time, time to move on? And I think the right answer, the right way to frame the question is what does the organization need right now? Um, I think healthy leadership is not, is not seeing, seeing your participation as being about you. It's really about, there's this organization and it's really about the mission that the organization is serving. So, hey, you got this thing called Parker Labs. It's serving this great mission. Um, are you the right leader to sort of, t- you know, sort of lead it towards where it's headed? And um, and I felt like for me, we had had uh, a great, uh, you know, kind of. I mean, it's been a great six years. Um, but I was also wanting the organization to move beyond me as founder and really just demonstrate, which I've always been confident of that, you know, it's built for the long haul and that there's a, there's a a bench and a team of really outstanding folks that are uh, running the mission. And I've always wanted this organization to, to be bigger than me. I think sometimes, you you know, if you stick around for like 10 or 15 years, it becomes hard for people to envision the organization led apart from the person, you know, apart from you, the leader. And so, I never wanted that to be the model. I always saw myself as someone that could help kind of build this thing and, and help organize it, but that other leaders would step in and sort of take it towards its next chapters. And so, um, it, you know, I also had paternity leave and was uh, taking that. And so we, you know, presented the board succession plan last year and had a plan. So we had an emergency succession plan, which is healthy for every organization to have, which basically says, you know, if you get hit by a bus, what happens? set of very specific activities and then we had a plan succession plan which is you know if i announce that i'm going to transition out how how do we get after finding a successor so 
we had tried to be really thoughtful about this. Um, um, I've seen organizations that, that fall apart for profit as well as not for profit when the founder leaves. Uh, and we were really intent on wanting not only Bucker to sort of survive, you know, my own transition, but actually thrive, you know, uh, apart from me. And, and I think that's my aspiration and, that, and that's the hope. So, um, put the plan into place, brought Blake Hogan in as kind of a leadership uh, understudy and, and really looked at the research on this. And the research is pretty clear that when you're transitioning out from a founder, it's, 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 um, Statistically speaking, there's always a much higher rate of success with an internal candidate who can maintain cultural continuity um, and and where certain conditions have been met. So we sort of saw that research, followed that research, made sure that the conditions were met. And then I went on opportunity leave and was really off the grid and sort of a trial period for Blake. And then, you know, COVID happened and um, I, I went to the board and was like, look, I think we need to accelerate this transition, give Blake, the full operating authority, he, he had been serving as interim CEO. Um, but I just thought, you know, this is a moment where it we're, we're going to require leadership to sort of position the organization to serve the community. There's got to be a bunch of aggressive decisions that we make. Um, I don't want to create confusion with that. We need a new leader. I think, you know, my vote is Blake and, and let's let's make it happen and move on. And so we did that. Um, and that feels like the right decision. I think the third uh, person, I think we will um, select differently, which is to say probably do a national search, look at external candidates as well as internal candidates um, uh, and, and and allow it to be a, a slower process. But given you know, the situation that we're in, we just felt the desire to move fast. And I think that that was appropriate. Yeah. I mean, I, he's got a great background and I think he's well-respected and well-liked in the community. So I think it's a great selection. Moving forward, what's Thanks. next for what do you think? Uh, what do you think you can do? Um, you know, I so I'm still with the organization, um, operating with the title of founder and, and doing a bunch of sort of what I'll call special projects, sort of a, a collection of things that I think are 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 interesting and relevant um, around the topic of of the military community and how to help them accelerate um, um, their ability to start businesses. So. I wrote a book. I have a book coming out in the fall. It's called The Calling. And I, I, I plan to spend a lot of time with things that are in the book. And so this book that I wrote, it really, it presents an argument that you can keep a job while starting a business and, um, and that there's actually a number of things that you should do personally. I'll call this personal strategy to help increase the chances of success for your business. And I wrote it because I felt like I'd seen so many interesting stories of people that I've met, you know, like you, Josh, and others throughout this work who were doing really interesting things to start businesses. And I, and I felt like the literature didn't capture the playbook on how to do it. Um, there's a lot on the bookshelves that's like sort of, I'll call it self-help or motivation, which is about mindset and work ethic and, and kind of, you know, you feeling good and working hard, which is important, but does not tell you how to start a business. And then you've got books in the category like Lean Startup um, or Zero to One, which are really about how do you start a business. But to me, there's a, ca- there's a gap in the middle of those two things, which is, okay, I'm motivated and I get this idea of like minimum viable product, but how does a person like me 
with the financial realities that I have and a day job, um, how do I go out and start a business or can I, or do I have to be like a Harvard dropout? Right. And so I feel like we've ignored the personal context. So the book is really to help fill in the gap between those two things of, you know, personal motivation and then business strategy. Like I felt like most of us, if we're, if we're, you know, at an age where we're trying to start a business, we're not answering these two questions in isolation. We're not just addressing whether or not we're motivated. And we're not just thinking academically about the business model canvas. We're trying to sort of figure out how to execute the business model canvas and start something, but do it in the context of our lives and our reality and our financial constraints and our time constraints. And so it really felt to me like these kinds of stories are missing. So I, I, I put a book together um, that's written as fiction. Uh, it's told as six people who go out into the world and start businesses while keeping their day jobs. And the, the reality is you can de-risk a startup if you do certain things personally. And, um, and the book sort of walks you through how to do that. So I'll be spending a lot of time on that in the fall and uh, building a workshop series to accompany that and, and some other things to kind of help, help tell those stories as well. When does the book come out? So it comes out in the fall, um, likely November release. It's published by Wiley. And uh, uh, yeah, and I'm just excited to bring uh, the concepts uh, that I've seen uh, in the lives of so many people kind of come to life uh, via via the words in the book. So uh, excited to spend some time pushing the concepts that are contained therein. That's amazing. I love it. And I know you were uh, part of uh, J.D. Pritzker's uh, transition team. What was that experience like, uh, J.D. Pritzker, if- People don't know was uh, is the newly elected governor in Illinois. Uh, been in the news lately because of the whole COVID thing. But uh, you you were part of his transition team. Uh, talk a little bit about that experience. Yeah, you know, um, I've tried to. Uh, I mean, obviously, Chicago's my hometown, and and um, and I love the city, and I, I've I've tried to stay active in a number of just like civic matters. And I think, you know, the bunker, right. Having started in Chicago, obviously has a lot of involvement from the public sector because there's a, there's public sector interest in military veterans starting businesses and being successful as entrepreneurs. And so, uh, so JB's uh, always been an advocate of the work that we're doing. And, um, and, you know, I think as an entrepreneur, I, um, uh, and this is sort of relevant to other folks. It's like, I think it's important to sort of, stay involved in the community. Um, however that takes flight, it just, to me, it matters, um, that you're active in the community. And so, uh, I've, you know, I was active with the governor, you know, before him and, and trying to stay active with, with JB and the work that he's doing. And, um, and, uh, and we'll continue to be active for other folks, elected officials that are trying to do good things in the community. So, um, yeah. So, and being on a transition team is, is exciting. It's a chance to kind of help inform policy uh, and build kind of constituent engagement for issues that are going to be relevant. And so uh, I think in particular for the military community, I'm happy to sort of get those invitations where people want to make sure that the military community is represented or heard. And, and so uh, some of those things you know, flow my way and I'm, I'm happy to do it. What about you? What what uh, what aspirations do you have? And, and by the way, congrats on the new son. He's uh, <laughs> absolutely stunning and adorable. And <laughs> thank you. The, keep the pictures coming. We're really excited. To, to, <laughs> how has how has fatherhood changed? Uh, you know what we, what you're doing right now. 
Uh, well, thanks for the compliment. Yeah, I'm biased. He's he's pretty cute. We adopted him in Miami in February, Jasper. Um, yeah. And uh, we're in Miami for a month. You know, it's amazing to sort of just see the world through his eyes. I mean, I, I've I've tried to, I've always wanted to just be useful and do things that I think improve the community and the world in which we live. And, and that's why I think you joined the military. That's why you start things like Bunker Labs. And um, if anything, having him accelerates my desire um, to do things that are impactful and matter. Um, you know, but it also creates a real desire to be home as well. I, I think last year uh, as CEO, and this is part of the transition, you know, to do it right, you're on the road probably two thirds of, of the time. I mean, it's just a lot of travel, especially when you're opening up chapters and doing ribbon cuttings and all that stuff. And by the way, it is so fun. I mean, I felt like it was the privilege of my life to be doing uh, that work with Bunker Labs. And it's and it's not hard. It's like you go to a city, you have a happy hour, you meet, make a whole bunch of friends, you hear about amazing and inspiring things that they're doing. So it is a labor of love and, and really just an absolute joy most of the time. But obviously, with a kid that changes things. And so I think less travel, um, more deliberate travel is probably part of it. Um, and I think honestly, um, the next chapter, I think part of what keeps people held back is, is their own egos. Like I really admire people like Nick Toronto, for example, who goes out and has a massive win with, um, with plated, right. A company that he mm-hmm. started and then sold to Albertsons. And the temptation can be like when you've been quote unquote successful with something that you don't want to try to do anything new because what if it fails? Like then, you know, if the, if the adage is like, you're only as good as your last startup, then if you had, if you have one that works, then like why mess with it? Right. Like why do another thing? Just let this ride the success. But I don't think that's a, I don't think that's how real entrepreneurs live. I think it's about, kind of continuing to go back out to the marketplace and experiment with solutions. And so I will want to experiment with things. I'm interested in starting more businesses. I've got a lot of things that I'm interested in exploring. Um, and, you know, and I'm sure many of them won't work. Um, I'm also interested in politics and, and stay engaged with that. So, I, you know, I, I think it's hard to make strategic decisions sometimes when you're running 80 hour weeks and just knows the grindstone. I think sometimes it, it like you got to create some space. So I'm creating the space right now, but I've, you know, things I'm thinking about some for-profit businesses, some, some political and, and public initiatives. And, and, and really part of what I'll be trying to assess is what is the market interested in? You know, I, I know kind of who I am and what I care about, but where can you, align what I'm passionate about towards where I think the market is, is needing something or interested as well. Um, and that it's gotta be sort of like, and this is just product, you know, you can call it product market fit, but it's towards like your own energy and efforts and reputation and where, you know, where can I have an impact? So I'll be, I'll be trying to figure that out and, and, um, you know, creating a little white space, uh, to, to get to good answers. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I think whatever you end up doing, it's going to be remarkable. And I, I'm a huge Todd Connor fan. And <laughs> wherever I can uh, be helpful, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And, and I, a fan of yours, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, no doubt. Perfect. And, you know, honestly, I, um, one of our organizational values is like we love building this community um, and we build relationships for the long term. So 
uh, like, I'd be very happy to, if it is a business, like go back and apply for the veterans residence program and, and park myself at WeWork and, and hash it out. I mean, that's, you know, like I would, you could very, <laughs> I could very easily just find myself back enrolled in programs at Bunker Labs to help get the support that I need, the network and, yeah. and everything else to, to build whatever's next. It's a really interesting time we're living in. And I feel like we're living in that Mike Tyson quote. You're, they're always, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. I guess mm-hmm. the world we're getting punched in the face right now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I feel like, um, you know, we, we're just making the best of what we can do and, and how we navigate this. And what I've, what I've always appreciated about Bunker Labs and the partnerships that you guys create is that you're always looking at it from the lens of, uh, what is it that we could do to add value to the founders that are struggling to make it work? And as veteran founders, it's even more of a struggle. Uh, they come for a fraction of the total VC funding. When we're talking about VC funding, veterans are even lower than, you know, percentage-wise, people of color, women, et cetera. Yet uh, the military, the most diverse employee, employer in, in the world, right? And so it's one of those things where there, there are a lot of opportunities out there. I think you're seeing them as you've gone through the different stages of Bunker Labs. And it's exciting to see, see what you're, you're going to do with it and what that experience is going to lead you to. Yeah, well, I appreciate that, Josh. And I feel like it's been, you know, at the end of the day, it's like the relationships. It's like you and, and, and so many other people who I just consider good friends. And that has been the real privilege. And you learn that... It, like when you dive into something full-throated and just seek to add value and, and put your best foot forward, like you build so many beautiful relationships at the same time. And I just think that is, uh, that is the gift of this stuff. And, um, you know, and all that will carry forward. And, uh, you know, I think we as, uh, as a community have work to do and the world, you know, we have all been sort of punched in the face and mm-hmm. we got to sort of, come back to basics, come back to the fob, right? <laughs> like put ourselves back together, make sure our families are okay, make sure we're okay, take care of our immediate needs. Um, but there's going to be a period in which we re- rebuild. And um, I think industries are being just entirely disrupted. Um, education, you know, healthcare, I think how we think about and frame national security will look different. I think our national, you know, sort of political system is going to be uh, rethought, Um so I think so many things are going to be up for consideration. And, and what I know is like leadership will be required. Um, and I also know someone will fill the vacuum, but we need to make sure that people that are, you know, uh, operating with high moral integrity, fill the vacuum. Cause uh, we know that the vacuum will get filled, but the, you know, the question is sort of by whom. And I think, you know, entrepreneurs in this moment, um, you know, the leaders of character are going to be required. And so I look to the military community and think, you know, as much as we're trying to figure out what this means for us, um, let's get through that, but realize that we have a role to play to, to build whatever's on the other side of this. Yeah, absolutely. So knowing that maybe the next opportunity is going to be an entrepreneurial one for you, what, uh, what advice would you give for entrepreneurs starting uh, a new thing during a pandemic Mm -hmm. well yeah um i think the fundamentals are the same i was having this conversation with a friend of mine he's he's, he started a uh uh, like a corporate security business where he does executive protection Mm -hmm. and what's happening in this environment it, it opens up the door for some things so number one you can create 
unprecedented customer loyalty in this moment in a way that isn't possible when people aren't scared. So companies that are closest to their customers, um, number one, they're going to be the first. To me, it's about customer intimacy. So if you're intimate with your customers, you understand what their needs are, and then you can serve their needs, which is, by the way, how you stay relevant as a company. You know, so so companies that do that and really are operate with deep empathy, um, you know, are going to be relevant in this moment and will survive and be relevant on the other side of this moment. Um, I really believe that. And so it, it's a question of, you know, do you understand your customers? Um, and by the way, understanding your customers is, is always a good idea, um, but it's it's particularly acute in this moment. Um, when they're going to have to make, you know, they're having to, to, to spend less and make more, you know, kind of discerning decisions. Um, so that's number one. If you do do that um, and stick around, you can be relevant. I think if you're starting a business right now, I think you've got to play to the moment that we're in and, and, and acknowledge that whatever it is that you're doing has to sort of be, you know, delivered in the context of, COVID and the economic crisis. So I, I think you've got to speak to the context that we're in if you're trying to start a business. And again, this is going to look different depending on what it is that you're doing. Um, but there's, you know, there's tons of room for creativity because we've kind of broken down how we buy. We're thinking differently about how we buy. So, you know, cr- people that are creative and aggressive and thoughtful and closer to their customers, I mean, that's a winning formula in this time um and so as an entrepreneur i think you just have to operate with that ethos of creativity like i'll give you an example we own a wedding venue in laporte indiana which is probably we could do a whole podcast on this but we bought it a few (laughs) years ago and um and it's generally for weddings and we had a whole summer of weddings that were booked um and right and inevitably a bunch of brides you know and grooms started canceling weddings okay well you look at that and you're like we can either you know try to hold their feet to the fire and say well you know like you know bring out legal contracts and be like well you said so you're obligated and just think in a short-term manner and try to get the money from them you know and like kind of make it their problem or I'm like, this is a massive opportunity for us. We are a emerging wedding venue. There's unprecedented PR story opportunities about, you know, like we put together the social distance wedding, you know, we got to, you know, we're feeding stories to like local papers. They are totally interested in that story because of course everyone's curious about like, how do you have a, how do you get married in this environment? Um, you know, we're talking about inviting healthcare workers in. It's like a, it's like an old bed and breakfast. It's like eight, seven bedrooms, eight bedrooms. And I'm like, how do you give it as like a quarantine space for healthcare workers or frontline workers? Like, so how do we just serve the community? We went out to everyone that had already booked and said, you can absolutely change dates free of charge for coming up with like, you know, weekday express options for weddings. So I look at it as like a giant opportunity to sort of jump to the, to the front of the line and be relevant because like, look, everyone's still going to want to get married at some point. That doesn't change. They're still going to need a place to do it. And let's, 
just lavish them with goodwill in this moment and know that they will in turn, we will therefore have be owning the conversation with them. And if you own the conversation with your potential clients, then you're going to own the business too. You know, it's just that simple. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, whereas uh, like traditional banquet halls are sort of like, well, let's just shutter the facility and wait till the restrictions get lifted. And we'll just go back to doing what we were always doing. And I'm like, you're, you're not going to be around afterwards, you know? And so this is where I think if you're an upstart and you're a creative problem solver, like get after it, you know, and you can absolutely, this can absolutely be a, a period of growth for you. You know, our growth won't be, you know, seen in the FY 20 summer, you know, revenue, um, but it'll be seen, I think, on the other side of this, um, because of the things that we're able to innovatively do right now to, to really speak to the moment. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of ways to get after that, but I, I don't just think it's like, let's, you know, pause, batten down the hatches, and then we'll just go back to doing business as usual once, you know, governors lift, you know, social distancing restrictions. I just think that's, you won't be relevant, I think, if that's your attitude in this moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. It's a really good point. Uh, Todd, so Paul, thoughts, where can people find you? Sure. Uh, yeah, LinkedIn is great. <laughs> uh, Todd Connor, LinkedIn or Twitter at Todd Connor. Um, my Instagram feed is uh, not that great, but I'm also there at uh, Todd Connor as well. So, uh, yeah, and then Bunker Labs, Todd.Connor at BunkerLabs.org and uh, happy to sort of you know, again, talk to anybody that's trying to start a business. I so appreciate what you do, Josh, and uh, and uh, what everyone who's listening is doing, which is they're trying to, you know, bring their A game and, and bring their talents to the world, and we need it. So if there's anything I can do to help be a part of that, I'm, I'm happy to do it. I appreciate you, Todd Connor. Thank you for, for coming back, and I'll have to do this again. Maybe we can do it an entire podcast on, on your on your wedding house, which I did, <laughs> which I'd love to see someday. Yeah, Emerson House. You can look up that too. Emerson House Weddings. It's uh, experienceemerson.com. If you want to get married in Florida, Indiana. Yeah, come on over. All right, sir. Thanks for coming. Guys, uh, you've been listening to the Veteran uh, Veteran Founder Podcast right here on the Startup Radio Network. Tune in every week, Fridays, 1 p.m. Pacific time. Listen, learn. This time, we'll see you guys next week. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code StartupRuby. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen. Learn. Launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.